This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. All right, we are in week two of our series that we have called Christmas in the City. And what we're doing for all the whole month of December is we are looking at what is the big deal about Christmas. And as we celebrate, that's what Christmas stands for. Christ, Mass means Christ celebration. So if you are already a follower of Jesus, these should be the stories that we celebrate and are thankful for. And then if you aren't a Christian, um, this is we want to explain to you all month long what is the big deal about Jesus. Why is all of history split before Jesus came and after he came, and we are just going to be looking at all of these stories and, and celebrating, once again, all the month of December, celebrating Jesus coming to the earth. So last week we uh, talked about Jesus as a Savior, why we need a Savior, what it means to have a Savior. So if you missed that message, you can go back and listen on our church website or on our podcast, also on our church app, and catch up along with us. Uh, we're just going to be talking about something very special today. We're going to be talking about the subject of grace. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, over to John chapter 1, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, once again, I always encourage you to bring your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible on your device, you can get the, the Bible app and follow along with us. It's important, even though the scriptures are going to be on the screen, uh, to read in your own Bibles. You can either highlight or mark things in your Bible or on your device so that these things can be meaningful, you, meaningful to you as individuals. Now, I was re- reminiscing, um, thinking about my daughter and her first Christmas, really her second Christmas, her first Christmas, she was about three months old, and, um, you know, when they're three months, they can't really open presents, you're opening presents for them. Um, but the following Christmas, when she was about 15 months old, 15, 16 months old, um, my wife went like a little bit nutty bananas uh, buying presents for our daughter, maybe 15 or 20 presents. Uh, we didn't really buy much for each other that Christmas. We bought everything for Avery. You know, you do that with your eldest child. You spoil them, and you take all the pictures of them, and then all of the kids to follow, you kind of forget about them. Uh, you know, I'm a second child. There's like one picture of me as a baby, and then a thousand of my sister, but, but I'm okay this morning. Um, so my wife, she bought all of these presents for my daughter, and uh, at that time, we had bought some um, gift wrap from Ikea, all this multicolored uh, gift wrap. And not only did my wife wrap these presents one time, as she wrapped the presents once, and then she put cellophane around that wrapping paper and then had bows and ribbons and everything you could imagine. Um, and for a 15-month-old, pretty much they just want to open one gift and they barely want to play with the gift. They just want to play with the box. And so, you know, we tormented our first child. You know, we, they opened one gift and they want to play like, no, you've got 20 more gifts to open. And basically she was crying on Christmas morning, you know, parent fail um, in that moment. But one of the things that we celebrate at Christmas time are gifts that we give gifts to each other. And we, it's, it's a joy to be able to give gifts to your loved one and celebrate and different things like that. But one of the big things about Christmas time is we are celebrating the gift of Jesus. Why is Jesus a gift to the earth? And why is this idea of gift giving such a big deal? Let's read here in John uh, chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
Verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Now, John uh, takes a little bit of a different approach to telling us about the origins of Jesus. We see in Luke and Matthew some of the stories, um, the, the happenings in and around Jesus' birth, you know, born in a Bethlehem and a star and who was in charge and all these different things. John takes a little bit more uh, spiritual approach, in other words, describing to us what Jesus brought to the earth. And I, I have these things underlined here for you. And we can see in verse 14, he was full of grace and truth. And it says in verse 16, we all received grace upon grace. And for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. This idea of grace is emphasized over and over again, our understanding about God. And this is actually one of the unique doctrines to Christianity. I was reading in one of my commentaries and it said this. One of the distinctive features of the Bible, no other system of religious thought, past or present, contains an emphasis on divine grace comparable to that of the Bible. This idea that grace comes through Jesus. Grace just means undeserved favor granted by a superior to an inferior. Grace is undeserved. Now, just like my 15-month-old baby at the time really had done nothing to deserve double-wrapped tens of presents. In fact, that first year or so, first couple years of her life, she actually contributed nothing to our family. I mean, there was some cuteness happening and some belly laughs and stuff. But that didn't actually make up for the thousands of poopy diapers that mostly my wife, but sometimes me, uh, were cleaning up. And then, you know, when the food got prog progressively adult, the poo got progressively stinky. And so this is pretty much what she had contributed to our lives the first 15 months of her existence. Poopy diapers and sleepless nights. She didn't deserve anything that Christmas. But what did we do? She got gifts that were undeserved, no contribution, yet because of our love for her as our child, we gave her gifts, grace upon grace. And this is something that Jesus, when he brought to the earth and part of his ministry, he helps us to understand this revelation of who God is. Jesus said he would call God his father, helping us to understand what God is like because we are parents. We give gifts to our children undeserved. Something that they don't actually qualify for. Oh, this is what God is like for us. And so this helps us to understand the concept of grace. That grace comes, God gives us grace when we don't deserve it. He grants us something as a superior to us, the inferior. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, one of the things we celebrate at Christmas is that grace comes through Jesus. First Corinthians chapter one. Let's turn over there. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 21 says this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, the advancement of knowledge or understanding uh, just through thought, we can't know God just by thinking. We can't accomplish 
a relationship with God through intelligence. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, in our cultural moment, we are so enamored with our own thinking and we, you know, think we're really smart now and we're educated now and we have, our, our knowledge has progressed and we learn this and then everything, you know, everybody 50 years ago was mostly an idiot and everybody 100 years ago was really an idiot and we just have sometimes an arrogance as humans that we're just, we're so smart. But the scripture is telling us here, the world doesn't know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Talking about two different things. Talking about God's wisdom and God's power. God's thoughts and God's ability. So the Jews wanted another Moses, as it were. They wanted something miraculous. They wanted another Red Sea. So for them, the cross, this thought, this, you know, cross is weakness. Uh, being born in a manger, this isn't where kings are born. And so this this idea that you know it didn't actually look very powerful that jesus was dying on the cross and then for the greeks in other words people who were uh you know exalting thought or intelligence or education it was a stumbling block to both people both groups of people which is all people so we can't get there by just saying, oh, we, we just wanted a worldly king. The Jews wanted a worldly king. And then the Greeks just wanted the height of imagination or the height of intelligence. And it was a stumbling block to both. In other words, it couldn't be achieved by e- any of man's desires, any of man's thoughts, any of man's wisdom, any what man would wanted. That it, how is it going to come? Well, it's just going to be coming by the preaching of Jesus that he died on the cross. And then when we believe that, We start to understand something. We start to experience who God is. Now, when we think about um, God and how we would have a relationship with God, if we think about who God is, that God is completely righteous and holy and just and good. He is over here and he's really in one sense everything that we are not and if you could think of the worst person that you could think of uh the baddest person that ever exists um not in the michael jackson way but the actual baddest uh way who is the worst person that you could think of maybe we put this person on this spot in the scale between the worst person ever and a holy righteous and just god where are you in and of yourself You know, you're kind of smart and you're kind of educated and you have a measure of sophistication and you have a measure of wealth and you have a measure of standing in your community and you're a good person, hopefully. Sort of a good person sometimes. Maybe sometimes you're not such a great person. But you're certainly not the worst person ever. But on the other hand, you certainly aren't completely holy, righteous, and just. So you're somewhere on this scale. So what the teaching of grace, what the teaching of what the, what the cross accomplishes for us, it's the thing for us that makes up the difference. It's the thing for us that actually gets us to the holy, righteous, just, perfect God. Grace makes up 
the difference. And this is what people struggle with. And this is what people struggle with over and over again, every generation. Uh, one time, you know, my dad was uh, preaching in a church. He was a pastor of a church. And it was kind of a, I'll call it a society church. And there was a lot of wealthy, educated, sophisticated uh, people that went there. And, you know, good members of society and part of a lot of clubs and all these different things, just good people. And so he spent a lot of time in one season preaching there, just talking about you must be born again. In fact, he would say certain things that you actually can't be good enough on your own to experience God, that he was saying you needed God's salvation. And so one of the men uh, in that church came to him one time and he said to my dad, he said, surely there's a place in God's kingdom and in heaven for people that aren't born again. Uh, you know, I, I'm a good person and, and, I, and, I, and I do this and I'm a good and I'm intelligent and I'm educated. Why do I have to receive what God gives? Isn't it, aren't I good enough on my own to get myself into God's goods graces? And this is what we struggle with and this is what we deal with as individuals. That God is the only thing that makes up the difference. God's grace is the only thing that makes up for my insufficiencies, for my sins. That we all, on this scale, somewhere, we are falling short. We're not making it to righteousness. We aren't making it to holiness. We aren't making it to a just God in and of ourselves. And so the doctrine of grace, the understanding of grace, that the only way that we make it to God is from this gift that he gives us. It's undeserved. It's like a father to a child. It's like a parent giving a gift to a child. We don't actually qualify for it in and of ourselves, in and of our education and our sophistication and our place in society. And one of the things about grace that helps us, that grace is the perfect cure for arrogance. Grace is the perfect cure for me thinking that either through my morality or through my education that I am somehow better than other people. And grace is also the perfect cure for inferiority. You know, Pastor Brent, you're describing the worst person ever. Well, I'm actually worse than the worst. I'm the worst person. You you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. I've struggled with this. I've done this. And I've gone through this relationship and that relationship. And I've had this deal and that deal and so many things. I'm the worst of the worst. What takes the worst of the worst and has them seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with the holy, righteous God? The only thing that takes us from there to there is grace. It's just a gift You don't deserve it. The educated and the sophisticated and the ones that have a good place in society and the lowest of the low. Grace is the thing that makes up the difference for us all. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells this amazing parable here in Luke chapter 18. And so maybe that isn't our struggle. Maybe we aren't You know, maybe we don't have a big head about being educated or sophisticated or a wonderful place in society. And maybe I I don't have a problem with inferiority and thinking that I'm no good. But here Jesus deals with something else here in Luke chapter 18. Verse 9. 
It says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. And this is always the issue for humanity. Am I going to trust in myself or am I going to put my trust in God? Am I going to trust myself to get me to God, to his righteousness, his holiness, his justice? Or am I going to put my trust in his grace and his goodness and his love? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Listen now. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So now he's, now in this parable, he's dealing with something as it relates to maybe we would call it religiosity. He's dealing with a Pharisee, someone who knows the word of God, somebody who has the scriptures memorized, somebody who is in the religious elite. So he's there. And then who's there? A tax collector. Someone who's thought of as a really great person in the religious establishment, and then a tax collector. Now, when we tax collector, I mean, we don't necessarily love tax collectors, but in this time, tax collectors had their own category of badness. There was sinners and tax collectors, and tax collectors were thought of the worst of the worst, that they were working for the people who were occupying the territory, and they were extracting taxes from their own people. And sometimes they would extract extra taxes and keep it for themselves. I mean, these were the scum of the earth, as it were, to everybody who was listening to the story. There was a Pharisee, someone who wore religious garb and knew the word of God. And then somebody who's the worst of the worst of the worst. Listen now. The Pharisee standing by himself. And where is he standing? He's standing in the temple prayed thus or prayed like this god i thank you that i am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Did you hear what the Pharisee did? He started to give his religious resume. So maybe our issue isn't sophistication in the community or maybe our issue isn't the worst of the worst but everybody who goes to church has this potential problem what is it here is my religious resume and then i start to actually depend on my religious resume and not god's grace and i have seen this throughout my life and existence in church and without you know putting someone else down this is what it might sound like for us thank you god that i go to the city church the best church in town where they have lip sync battles at christmas time they have a sick set of drums on their stage 
And they have lights and they're not overly religious. And I thank you, God, that we aren't like the other churches. Here's a revelation for everybody. There is no best church in town. In and of what we do and how we organize. See, anything that we do in the spiritual context potentially now can be a point of pride for us. And we do this and we do this and we don't do this, but we don't, we're certainly not them. Going to the city church, although I'm glad that you're here and I want you to come back next week, doesn't save you. Going to this group or that group or belonging to this denomination or that denomination doesn't save us. It only comes by grace. The only thing that makes up our deficiencies between our sinful self and a holy, righteous God has nothing to do with the group that I belong with or the preachers that I listen to. I thank you, God, that we listen to so-and-so preacher because he's really got it. I thank you, God, that we listen to Pastor Brent and he wears jeans and he's not wearing a suit. Listen, jeans on the preacher, suits on the preacher is nothing. It's nothing. It's meaningless. It doesn't get us anywhere with God. It only comes from God's grace. Jesus has come to us as a gift. It is the only thing that we can depend on. Spiritual resumes are useless. God's grace. It's a gift. It's undeserved. As soon as we start to get a bit of religious pride in our church or our group or the preachers that we listen to, we're no longer depending on grace. And then we're starting to trust in ourselves. And I'm telling you, this is what happens. This is the potential for all of us. This is the potential for us. Once again, I'm not I'm talking about anybody else. I'm just talking about us. Because I've seen this in a society church. And I've seen this exact same attitude in the ultimate charismatic church. We can get pride in who we are and what we do. But grace is the only thing that matters. God's grace. God's grace. What did, what did, what did the Pharisees say? Oh, here's my resume, God. What did the tax collector say? God, I need your mercy. All of us religious irreligious, don't care about church, whatever the case may be. We need something from God because in and of ourselves, we are hopeless. In and of ourselves, we are never going to achieve this. We are never going to be righteous and holy and good in and of ourselves. It is grace. It is only a gift and it is and will always be undeserved. And it, it sets us free. It sets us free from our religious pride. Oh, religious pride is one of the worst things. It's, this, it's a sin. 
Religious pride is a sin. It's just a whole other type of sin. It's a self-righteousness. And we all, everybody in this room, everybody that goes to church all the time, has this potential to start building our resume. But we should only boast on the grace of God. We should only boast about what God has done. And live in this wonderful place of grace. So that when somebody shows up in our community and they are the worst of the worst of the worst. What should our attitude be as people that have only been righteous as a gift? Not as achievement of morality. What should we as recipients of grace, how should we act? It should affect us and it should infect us. That when somebody shows up and they have fallen so short, we actually identify with them because we fall short too. We have fallen short in our morality, in our actions, and then maybe with our religious pride. That anybody, when they show up, on this scale of insufficiency, what do we do? We offer them Jesus who offers them grace. It's undeserved. We don't qualify for it. We're not good enough for it. We're not smart enough. And we're certainly not religious enough, as Jesus would tell us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Here's a, a very famous phrase that we use in the world and we misuse it as we would see here in, these, in this one verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. What does justified mean? It means be made right. How do, I get, how do I become right with the holy, righteous, perfect God? He's saying you are severed from Christ that you are trying to justify yourself by the law, keeping the rules, the religious rules. Listen. You have fallen away from grace. See, how we use this term in society and then in the church world is we look at somebody who sinned. And what do we say? They've fallen from grace. But what does it tell us here? The people that are trying to be righteous by completing the law, we are the ones that have fallen from grace if we're trying to uh, prove our spirituality by the accomplishment of religious rules and laws and traditions. That's what it means to fall from grace. The, the trust in myself. Now, we certainly shouldn't sin. We know this. Listen, this is not new information. Sinning hurts your life. Messing up, missing the target on how you're supposed to live. This, you know this. This doesn't mean that we should be sinning. And we, but what the scripture is saying here is like we fall from grace by trying to show our religious resume. I'm not going to trust in my ability to accomplish the law. I'm going to trust in God's grace. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him 
things in heaven and things on earth. How does it happen? By the riches of his grace. The riches of his undeserved, that we are receiving his undeserved favor. The riches of his grace. Romans chapter 3. Let's turn over there. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. So all of us, regardless, education, background, whatever you want to name, all of us are way short of a holy, righteous, perfect, just God. But at Christmas time, we celebrate the one who came to give us grace. The one who makes up the difference that we couldn't make up ourselves. It is Jesus, and it is only Jesus. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. How are we justified? By his grace as a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Do you have former sins? Come on now. Do you have former sins? Yes, we do. But he's passing them over. Why is he passing over your former sins? Because of Jesus. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What was the Pharisee? He had trust in himself. See, these are the two choices in life. I'm either going to trust myself, either by my education and sophistication, or my religiosity, or I just got to put my trust in Jesus and know that the one that takes me from the worst of the worst into a relationship with the holy, just, perfect, loving, heavenly Father, it is through faith in Jesus. I put my trust in Him. I don't trust myself to make it here. I don't put my trust in the name of my church. I don't put my trust in my denomination or my religious background. I put my trust in Jesus. Faith in Him alone, by grace alone. It is only by grace. It is only by grace that we aren't all consumed and lost. <laughs> and He offers it to us. He says, uh, by grace as a gift. It's by grace as a gift. Which means you can't pay for it. 
couple weeks you're going to be opening presents and after you give these gifts to your loved ones at the end on all the gift wrapping and all the mess you're not going to be handing your loved ones a bill that says you owe me this for the gifts that I gave you see if you start trying to pay for it it's no longer grace it's no longer a gift we can't make any payment for it we can't be smart enough can't be religious enough it is grace undeserved grace grace from God is the only thing that heals our lives heals our soul if I try to fix myself the deficiencies of my flesh in and of myself I'm trusting myself but when I put my faith in Jesus, when I put my faith in God, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to change my sinful self into the image of Jesus. But I'm not trusting me, I'm trusting him. That he's going to transform me. He is going to heal me by his grace. It's a gift. He offers it to us. You don't qualify for it. Stop trying to qualify for it and just rest. Faith in Jesus. Last verse. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. We think about wages. What is that? That's work that I do. The wages that I do is sin. What the, the sin that I've committed in my life, what's the payment for that? Uh, it's sin and death. It's separation from God. But the free gift, the free gift, the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's free. It's free. And this is why we celebrate Jesus. This is why Jesus is the big deal. Eternal life starts right now. It doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts today. Me, stop trying to make up the difference. Whatever, however I could do it. Because you can't do it. It only comes by grace. It only comes as a free gift. What is it? It's eternal life. It's not eternal religion. Thank God. It is eternal life. A life free from sin. A life free from trying to make it on my own. I try to get there. Trying to be smart enough. Trying to be intellectual enough. Trying to be religious enough. Can't get there. It's a gift. It is grace alone. And man, and this is why Jesus... This is why we celebrate Jesus. It's not just a baby in a manger. He is the Savior of the world who offers us the gift of righteousness with the holy and trust, the just, perfect, loving God. Aren't you thankful for that today? Amen. Listen with us and then we're done. This, uh, we do nothing to deserve grace. But what do we get? We get life eternal. 
Listen to this phrase. Grace is unfair. Because the people that don't qualify for it get it, which is all of us. So it's unfair. Why is it unfair? It, the human rights abuser like Saul gets forgiven. The murderer and adulterer like King David or a thief hanging on a cross has a conversion just before death. It's unfair because people like me and people like you have been given eternal life. Grace is gloriously unfair that it's given to all. And it is undeserved and we thank God for Jesus for the free gift of salvation that only comes through the Savior that we celebrate let's just pray this morning Heavenly Father we are so thankful for your grace today we would be nowhere if not for your grace thanks for listening if you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you please email info at thecitychurch.ca 